All right. Well, this is good. this is a pretty exciting thing for me. Like I, I um, last year, I think it was last year. You guys got the, the award, right? Was, yeah, was, uh, last June. Last June. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, my my supervisor asked me to go take some pictures at the ceremony, and I was thinking to myself, up oh, just another ceremony. What am I going to? <laughs> and um, and it was amazing. It was an amazing story. That and then I I kind of latched onto it, and I was like, this needs to be bigger. This needs to be some. <laughs> we need to tell this more, not just uh, some kind of um, internal story that yeah. we just cover, take pictures of. Um, so um, what I'm talking about is, if you got a Evergreen magazine um, last year, it was a front cover of it. Um, uh, are you still a CW three? Yeah, CW three. Two. I'm a CW two. Yeah. Two. And then, yeah, so uh, Ryan Schwen and Eugene Park, can you at least just introduce yourself a little, tell me a little bit about yourself real quick, yeah, and then Ryan. we can, we can uh, just keep them going. Yeah, <laughs> my name is uh, Ryan Schwen, uh, CW3 Ryan Schwen. I'm a Chinook helicopter pilot in the Washington Army National Guard. Um, I've been in, in the Washington Guard for about 10 years now, and before that I was in the California Guard. Um, I have a... Uh, family, two kids living in Seattle, and I fly for uh, an airline as my full-time job. Fixed wing? Fixed wing, yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Uh, Park? CW2 Eugene Park. Um, I'm currently Bravo 168's boxcar. Um, they're a readiness officer on the full-time side. Um, joined the Guard in 2018, and before that, I was on active duty for about seven years. Mm -hmm. What'd you do on active? The same? Uh, or? I was a uh, artillery officer, oh, actually. Wow. wow. Always wanted to fly. He just. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean nice. it was. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know the best opportunity for me and my family and to be able to fly. So I took mm -hmm. this route. Cool. So what we're talking about today is the um, incident that happened in 2020. You guys were deployed to Afghanistan. You were shuttling things around the country. I'm I'm sure because that's what uh, the <laughs> yeah. the box cars do. That's right. <laughs> Um, and something happened there. So, uh, I'll, let's just take me back, set up the scene, if you will, like what was your guys' mission at the time sure. and what, we, what you were doing? Yeah. Um, it was a pretty unique, uh, deployment, unlike anyone I had ever been on. Um, things were strange. This, our, our deployment lined up with essentially with the COVID, um, timeline. So, um, we started mobilizing, uh, it was, I think, spring of 2019. Um, and, uh, you know, things, things were, were very, very much changing in Afghanistan. Um, the unit we replaced hadn't actually flown a lot since, um, COVID started and we, we weren't really sure what would, what would happen. Um, but as soon as we got to Afghanistan and, and settled down in Kandahar, um, our mission started to um, become clear to us. It was essentially the uh, footprint in Afghanistan was going from what it had essentially been for the um, previous 20 years, which is a network of, of FOBs and, and larger mm -hmm. bases in the southern part of Afghanistan, to a um, much lighter footprint. So everything was getting moved to uh, Dwyer, um, uh, CP Dwyer, which is in mm -hmm. the Helmand Valley. 
<coughs> so our mission was uh, really facilitate that that movement um, of equipment and personnel and uh, one of the things that became apparent really early on in that in that uh, transition was that um, with the number of people that were moving to Dwyer uh, we would probably be needing to um, move accommodations housing mm-hmm. to to that base um, it was a pretty small base didn't have a lot of um, a lot of housing and um, uh, so that was that was immediately uh, a problem mm-hmm. so um, what was in abundance in Afghanistan were chews, those um, metal container housing units. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, they were in all the, the bases we were closing down. So it was uh, decided um, at a pretty high level to move those those buildings um, by Chinook helicopter. Yeah, we were going to sling load these things. Yeah. They were the dimensions of a shipping container. They look like a shipping container. We fly shipping containers mm-hmm. um, as one of our, our um, very common mission sets. So uh, pretty much pretty much about a month into our, our deployment, we ended up um, transporting these basically every single night. Yeah. For just like a, it's like a routine it was at night, just turn and burn? Every night, yeah. Okay. We would do um, basically Kandahar, where a lot of these containers came from, to Dwyer was about a, a one-hour flight. Mm-hmm. It was about 70 or 80 miles. Um, and so we would usually have enough time and fuel to do two, two uh, round turns Okay. Um, from... Um, from Kandahar to Dwyer, okay. delivering these boxes. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you guys were doing when November 20th, right? Yeah. So happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the entire deployment, it basically turned into just retrograde operations. Yeah. Moving as many people and things and loads as, you know, our, our company could carry. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine you guys got a lot of hours. We did in a short amount of time. It was uh, a yeah. very busy deployment. So you guys are flying strictly at night? Uh, yeah, it, it, we would actually do a little bit of daytime and, and then mostly night. We would end up um, essentially maxing out our, our flight time allotment each each day. We're given, mm-hmm. oh, okay. If we fly in the day and the night, we're given seven hours of maximum flight mm-hmm. time. Um, and we would essentially do that every single night. Um, yeah. So it was kind of... Uh, really gas ba- gas pedal to the floor kind of operations mm-hmm. okay all right um so i guess take me to i think it was the second turn yeah of that night yeah we were um uh, and yeah just like and we got a little model here for <laughs> folks who can because <laughs> i was i was gonna like as you were i was, I was uh, reading the reports and everything and i was kind of like struggling to like how, like what? Happen. How did this like happen? Yeah. Like how did it hit the rotor? You know what I mean? It's, so I thought a, a model absolutely would help, but uh, this is an audio audio format. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah um, and yeah, between the model and pictures, yeah, uh, they'll that's that's about as as um, best best way to tell the story. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so like we were saying, this was this was hour seven, going on hour seven of, of oh, the flight. Oh, so at the very end, yeah. Very end. Um, and, you know, flying a Chinook helicopter in a deployed environment, you know, you're wearing you're wearing about 40 pounds of gear. It's hot. It's uh, it's noisy. So it's it's um, you know fatigue mm -hmm. is is always present uh, in that mission set, especially after that number of, of that long of a day. Mm -hmm. But um, we were we were finishing up our second uh, turn with one of these loads, and um, you know it was very a very typical night. Everything had gone essentially to plan. Um, you know, uh, we have uh, very professional air crews that, that always make the, the mission happen. Um, and so we were uh, starting our approach into Dwyer. And uh, like I said, Dwyer is a base that's just on the edge of the Hellman River Valley. It's, it's a fairly um, secure base. It, it was a couple miles from any any population center, but basically to get to to get to Dwyer from Kandahar, you have to cross the, one of the most populated areas um, in the Hellman Valley. Mm -hmm. And so, we would usually um, we we would usually um, typically at that time um, approach from the north and land to the south. And we were we had just crossed over the population center, and we had started our approach. Um, when the event happened, and um, we uh, we were flying in a formation of two, um, I was the air mission commander, and um, we had you know a plan on how we were going to um, drop off our sling loads, both chalk one and chalk two. Were, we were both carrying um, con these uh, containers. Um, by dual point sling load, so two cargo hooks with uh, chains going down to the to the um, container. So it goes all four corners. Yeah, all four corners, and then it comes up to one. Like so, we have four chains that attach to <laughs> one larger chain, and then oh, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah. So the two two back sides attach to one chain, oh, two forward. Okay to one, another chain and that hooks into two of the three okay. hooks we have under under the aircraft okay there, so there's more than just the one in the middle yeah there's actually uh three okay on the Chinook, um two uh mm -hmm. two, one in the front one in the back and then the okay a, a slightly different hook in the okay. in the center so it was, it was com coming from the the forward and the half yep. exactly hooks yeah and it was connected to all four corners okay that's right got it um, and um, so uh, we were you know we were, we were flying along like I said everything very normal and um, I think we'd even kind of just been joking a little bit on the radio at that point um, talking to the, the other aircraft and um, that's when that's when the incident happened mm-hmm um, so all of a sudden, without any warning, a, uh, just a tremendous bang, um, happened and, mm -hmm. uh, the aircraft, um, banked to the, to the right, mm -hmm. uh, I'd say about 20 degrees mm -hmm. or so, 
without any any notice. Um, That's really. a pretty significant. It was. Angle. Yeah, wow. it was. It was um, a very very abrupt um, change in uh, in our uh, attitude and and uh, the aircraft almost went out of control. Gene was on the flight controls mm -hmm. and uh, he did an amazing job uh, doing just, just instinctively leveling the wings and um, making sure that what could have been a catastrophic um, uh, event uh, was managed and we didn't have uh, any uh, loss of aircraft control at that point which was extremely critical in, in mm -hmm. our survival. Um, and so, you know, something like that happens, a loud, unexplained noise. I mean, I think the first thing that went to all of our minds was surface-to-air fire. Yeah. Kind of the most logical thing. And um, There was no kind of visual, like, like a flash or anything for you guys? For me, no. No, I mean, that was my immediate thought. We were in a combat environment, mm -hmm. we kind of towards the end, and I was like, oh. It happened. This is it. Yeah. And okay. I really thought maybe like we took something at the load or took indirect or took fire at the ramp or something. Like yeah, back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that then it was just trying yeah. to react to what, what was happening, control the aircraft, mm -hmm. just keep flying it and try and get to our LZ. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Just so so kind of at the exact same time that that bang happened. Our crew chief in the uh, in the in the center uh, center cargo hole, and we try to get our crew chiefs to come today. They had a lot of maintenance mm -hmm. to do, and and um, one of them is part of the Oregon National Guard, uh, Ty Higgins. Okay. Um, and he couldn't come either. Um, but the uh, the crew chief in the hole, so the guy who's actually watching um, our sling load who's hanging his head outside of the aircraft at, at certain points in the flight, um, all of a sudden he, he over the intercom calls jettison, jettison, jettison. Mm -hmm. And um, he's at, at that point, he's in charge of the, of the hooks and the, and the sling load. Uh, we've uh, delegated the authority to him. Um, he tried to uh, release the load, the container and and uh, and what happened was um, he he calls jettison, but then there's a couple of minutes, a couple seconds of silence, and we we're like, "What just happened? Did did the did a, did something like um, surface to air fire hit the load, or or what? It's just a total mystery to us up front." Mm -hmm. And um, we're you know I ask, "Hey, what's?" What's the status? What happened to the to the sling load? Is it is it still part? Of, is it still attached to us or not? Did it jettison? Um, and he he comes back. He says, "I can't exactly tell. It's it, it looks like it's still hanging from the forward hook." Um, and to me, that was confusing. Did the <coughs> did the hooks fail? What what's going on? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and. Uh, you know, at that point also, I think it was the crew chief on the left door on the left door gun. He says he says he saw a flash at some point too off, yeah. off the left side of the aircraft. It was a 
Andy Delmi, he was the left crew chief, left window. Mm-hmm. He mentioned that. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, so now you know it's 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 just a generally very confusing, right? Confusing uh, point in the in in the flight, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um, so you know, so I I just assume it's it's surface to air fire, and but we're still flying. We were on an approach to uh, the sling, lar- sling load yard where we. So, you, so you're right there. You're still. You're like almost. You were, yeah, about uh, almost about to there. put it down. Fairly close. About three. So. We were still about. I think the incident may have happened about uh, three or four miles off the base. Okay. But you, so we could see. We could. I mean, we were already in in range of yeah. the base. We had already been shooting our approach to the base at that point, coming down, and. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I decided that we should just keep keep going. Um, the controls are normal. They're, they're kind of are they kind of shaky at this point? Um, I mean, I was on the flight controls when the incident happened, and I just remember looking like at my instruments to see if everything's okay still. Um, everything was still good uh, in uh-huh. the green. Yeah, but I just I remember. Like yeah, a lot of shaking, a lot of vibration, heavy vibration. Okay, so there was there was some kind of indication that something was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, from basically immediately after the the impact um, that we felt, uh, I could feel a, a, like a lateral vibration. Is what we call it in the aircraft. It's mm-hmm. it's like basically you're sitting in your seat and you, your whole body is kind of swaying uh. a little bit. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm I was a pilot in command, um, and I'm direct, directly responsible for the safety of the aircraft. I had the most experience at that point, and so I, I took the flight controls from Gene, even though he's doing a great job, and I have all confidence he would have landed the aircraft um, as well or better than I did. But um, anyways, I took the flight controls and continued into to fly into the uh, usual place where we dropped off the loads at, mm-hmm. at Dwyer. Um, you know, we, I had some thoughts, do we, do we land on the runway instead of kind of the dusty field that we typically go to, but, you know, it, it, it seemed like changing too many things up for this event was asking for confusion mm-hmm. on... Because you guys have everything planned out already. Where you're going to land, where who's going to land first, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We never, we would never take these loads to anywhere but this particular field right, from right. the base. Okay. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking kind of like, you know, if I, if I say, hey, we're over here instead of here, that, that might cause people on the ground who, who may be available to help us to get yeah. confused, go to the wrong place, delays. And um, so we, we kept going towards the sling load yard. It was where we were already headed. Um, at this point, um, you know, we... We were still trying to diagnose what was going on. Mm-hmm. Benny was our our uh, flight engineer had his his head up in the in the flight deck looking at the instruments. He was he was doing a great job as our flight engineer. He's feeling for high frequency vibrations that might indicate that we have some really serious trouble with um, the parts on the aircraft mm-hmm. that, that uh, spin at really high speeds and could cause a lot of damage. Um, okay. Yeah. So at this point, can we talk about what, like the and like 
after the report and everything, like what actually caused this. Yeah. Let's let's do that, and then we'll go to the whole landing and and absolutely because there's a lot more that went on <laughs> with the landing. So yeah. Um. So yeah. So so kind of break down what the actual fault was or what happened that caused this. Yeah. So um, you know, we all suspected um. A, a rocket or something hitting the sling load or the or the aircraft um, was kind of at at the time when you you know you're in these uh, situations. It's just amazing how little information yeah. you have and how it slowly comes to you. And um, you know, with I think given the information we were presented with, the most likely cause was was uh, some kind of impact from a, a weapon system, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, it, with um, once we were on the ground and uh, we kind of figure out what figured out what exactly had happened, um, I, I had mentioned that these these containers look like standard shipping containers, mm-hmm. and they even have the same dimensions and lift points yeah. as the, as standard shipping containers. Uh, one one very important difference is that these these uh, shipping containers are these containers are essentially I, I call them I, the IKEA furniture. Oh yeah, yeah. They're not really meant to be moved. <laughs> and I think we, sh- you know, in hindsight and um, with like what we know now, uh, we should never have flown these as sling loads. These mm-hmm. should have been either broken down uh, and moved. Uh, a different way, or they should have been never Tru- moved at trucked, all. Trucked, maybe. Trucked, <laughs> and like they tried to try. I mean, I didn't. I left this part out earlier, but they tried to truck these. Okay. But the truck drivers kept getting shot. So. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't safe. It really wasn't working. Okay. In that, for that, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I think just like in the moment, the Chinook just became the most. Uh, yeah. Uh, the best. Um, transportation vehicle for these and we had done it already and successfully many times mm-hmm. so, so there was no reason to think that there was some no. kind of, you shouldn't be doing this <clears throat> yeah I think you know I've learned a lot from this the you know um, the risk assessment process is a is a cyclical mm-hmm. process and I think that we weren't treating it with the respect that it deserved mm-hmm. as far as going back and evaluating evaluating but um, but long story short um, the, as we were on approach, the sidewall of, of this container that we were flying um, basically blew out. And from there, the container was, had an open side. Okay. And that caused the wind to catch that. Put a tremendous kind of like a parachute. Almost. It was a parachute, yeah, wow. a wing, an airfoil, huh. and you know we're still going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, a lot of a lot of force there. That that wind picked the box up. Yeah, flew it 40 feet um, <coughs> into the rotor system, and you know, I, like I mentioned, it, this box had a good length of chain underneath it, and so when when the uh, wind caught it, it carried it up. And it actually took this 4,000-pound box and smashed it into our rotor system. Into the rotors. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that, so that impact, uh, um, you know, it was a, a miracle that it didn't go either farther up 
mm -hmm. or that it didn't break the the blades because uh, at least completely in half at that point ca right. catastrophic it, it, failure yeah if, if that blade would have been severed completely it would have been yeah you know, we wow. would have uh, but it didn't sever we, we didn't know that at the time yeah and this is another thing that came out uh, in the report it was just right so what 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 happened was um you know the the two of the blades um they 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 were severely damaged mm -hmm. to the point where only some strands of fiberglass were holding them together, but they held together, yeah, um, which was the important the, uh, thing. Centrifugal force is keeping them, yeah. keeping them together, Rigid. keeping it straight. Ultimately, or, kept those yeah. flying. Yeah. yeah, that's all that. So these things were so just it held didn't by. quite get severed. It, they uh, bent, probably bent up a good ways, and oof. but but then the centrifugal force pulled those blades uh, rigid again, just like they're made to be. So it actually, oh my gosh! Yeah. Like when it hit, it bent the blade up they and bent, then went right back they, down. Yeah, wow. they, and that was a lot of that. that yeah. Okay. Uh, bank that we felt at the time. Interesting. Yeah. So um, the box, you know, and there's, um, you can see from the from the uh, accident photos that we have that there's white paint on the left side kind oh, okay. of in the back of the aircraft and that's, and that's where, where the box with, that was painted white um, had had impacted. So the uh, the number one engine, the left engine, uh, had, had been struck and um, some of the sheet metal parts were severely dented in. Uh, we had holes on this side of the airplane and um, and then uh, severe damage to two of the blades. But mm -hmm. we didn't know it at the time. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, and, um, I mean, yeah. the load is also still attached at this point. Yeah. Where, yeah. How did it get, you know, wedged? <laughs> well, Sergeant Higgins, you know, he tried to jettison the load. Yeah. Once he manually couldn't do it. I think we tried to do it up front. That didn't work out. But, I mean, it turns out after the accident report, when that load did strike the uh, aft rotor blades, the. Um, was it the slinglet legs and the chains were? I can't remember if they were caught up in the engine or the aft wheel. So <coughs> what had happened was the um, the chains got hooked onto um, a piece of our countermeasure system. Okay. And they got jammed there, and the force of the load coming down, still being attached to the chains before the jettison happened, um, was enough to basically put really high tension. Um, between the chains and the forward hook, so much tension that even though the hook was working and trying and it was opening up, closing and opening, oh, nor wow. it had so much it had been pulled so tightly against the airframe, the forward hook, that it didn't have enough um, slack to actually release the load from the forward hook. Mm -hmm. So we essentially had um, the confusion where um, our crew chief says I can't really tell what's happening with the forward hook. Yeah. That's because what was left of the box was still being pushed against our our um, fuselage. And um, you know and and uh, like I mentioned that you know the information was slowly coming to us. We couldn't really tell what how much of the load was still attached to us, how it was how it was um, wedged against us. Um, so just a lot of kind of unknowns in that moment. It's a very, pretty mm -hmm. dark night. It's hard to see a lot of this this stuff, but um, pretty soon the picture became clear that um, 
we had some flight control damage that was that was apparent from the vibrations um, or the severity of it we didn't realize at the time but we also had the second major problem we had was that we had the sling load still stuck to the bottom of our aircraft yeah so it's, uh, so you couldn't quite land because of that yeah that entire container is just mangled underneath you and stuck to you exactly yeah and so and we're kind of coming to this realization about the time we cross over the um the wire at, at dwyer and are coming kind of slowing down i started to you know i was on the flight controls at this point i started to notice as we slowed down that the that the um aircraft control was mushy you know chinook is actually a very responsive aircraft on the controls but it started feeling like an old Buick mm -hmm. um, without power steering at that point. Okay. It was just kind of so you very sluggish. a lot sluggish. of give in your wheels. You know, yeah, it took like more force and more, or not more, not more pressure necessarily, but more, um, more control inputs to, to basically keep the aircraft stable okay. than, than typical. Um, so that's kind of, and then the vibrations uh, persisted through this through the incident. Um, yeah, and that's and that's when we got to the sling load yard, and and um, you know, our crew chiefs are are looking at at the load pushed against the bottom of the aircraft, and kind of giving us a, a picture, uh, us up front a picture mm -hmm. of what's going on, and and uh, that's when we um, we ran the checklist for for a cargo hook that isn't actuating. That's mm -hmm. uh, and it surprise no surprise there. It didn't it didn't do anything. Cargo hook was working normally. It was just yeah. being pulled so tightly. Oh wow! Yeah, so we tried the the three different methods we have to open our cargo our car, cargo hook to no to no effect though. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is like a brand new problem that nobody has ever ever thought yeah. of before. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of test pilots on yeah. this one, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure someone's had something similar happen. But and um, okay, so you get to the the, the yard. Mm -hmm. You're hovering and. and and you contacted the people who run the airfield there, right? Yeah, Gene, you were handling the radios um, at that point. <laughs> yeah, once uh, um, we, you know, Ryan took the flight controls, that's when I kind of became our manager with the communications, trying to figure out <clears throat> how to resolve the solution. Um, at this point, when we realized we couldn't, I guess, self-recover our issue, you know, we declared our emergency to the tower. Um, just with that, you know, we declared our uh, what was it the crash team, the firefighters from the airfield air to come mm -hmm. to come out to us just in case. And then we were, I was really worried it was um, bang bang chicken night, which is the big meal. <laughs> and we were worried it was about midnight when midnight chow happens. So yeah, we were worried that nobody would be around. To, yeah, I think to that was what us. we were talking oh. about before the landing. Yeah, like, <laughs> make sure we got the chow on time. Yeah, nobody's um, going to be there to help us because we're all at chow. Yeah. That's right. That was usually the deadline that we were up against was <laughs> get, get to midnight chow. Yeah, but yeah. After after talking to Tower, that's when we called our talk as well. Mm -hmm. Let them know that hey, we are inbound or we, you know, have made it over to Sling Yard, but we need uh, ground support like now. Yeah, yeah. So and they and they raced out and they yeah within they were able to get some eyes from the ground and see what actually what it looked like. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. That was kind of an interesting sight from my point of view because I think he was focusing on the hover, mm -hmm. you know, making sure uh, he could control the aircraft looking down at the ground. I just see a <coughs> a Tata or a yeah yeah. What's the, uh, the Tacoma version over there? Oh, the uh, uh, Hilux. 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 Yeah, yeah. 
white one <laughs> rolling down the street uh, with like three guys in the back. Um, I'm like, I don't know how they're gonna solve this, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I think the guys who came out were uh, was what Mr. Flathers, um, Lamp, Lamp, Joe Ford, Joe Ford. I think those were the three on and, the truck. Uh, oh yeah, and Marcus Hickman was actually in the lead aircraft. Jumped out of their aircraft to come help as well. Oh wow! Yeah. And so okay. yeah, and that was kind of cool. So we, you know, we as we crossed the wire, um, you know, we were so sat task saturated that the last thing we ended up doing was communicating with our lead aircraft. But you know, when it kind of became apparent that we were, a, you know, an aircraft that wasn't um, really the most controllable, um, that's when I call it. We called uh, the lead aircraft and basically told them to get out of the way and go around mm -hmm. and so they followed us in and, and we asked them to to land behind us and be ready to help out if, if nobody was available to help us from the talk or um, at least be available as needed so um, when we came to a hover that's when the flight engineer Marcus Hickman from the um, the other aircraft um, he actually uh, got out of the aircraft um, and uh, that was a couple hundred feet behind us and and came out and he um, he was able to get up on um, on our our wireless intercom system by dialing the secret code which is the last three numbers of the tail number <laughs> one two three four yeah <laughs> 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 but uh, which was really helpful because uh, you know this this was this happened so abruptly we didn't have any you know nobody on the scene of the of the uh, incident had any handheld radios but he was able to communicate with us uh, directly via this intercom system nice. I think that was just key in resolving yeah. the situation because he had comms on the guys on the ground so he was able to talk to you know whoever he was with and also oh. us in the aircraft yeah to kind of explain what was happening what they were doing so he was like a relay yeah and yeah. at this point like Ty he treated the load as if it was a normal load yeah you know? Telling Ryan what movements to make. Yeah. And then, yeah. It, but it was, hmm. it was super, I mean, it was really helpful for us to get the picture of what was happening, where the load was pushing against, um, and what potentially could have happened if, if we had landed on it or mm -hmm. not. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that was crucial in developing the plan that we ended up, um, ended up doing to, to free this load. Um, so Marcus and the guys in the back of the pickup truck, um, they you know they described uh, you know a, they described a load that's that was kind of wedged up against our fuel nacelle um, on the left side, and so this is these are fuel tanks in the Chinook. Um, it's also kind of a uh, like a composite uh, structure. It's very very. I mean, it's very flimsy for punctures. Um, it, uh, it w the load was essentially wedged up against against this this mm -hmm. portion of the aircraft, and it was going down beyond the mm -hmm. the landing gear. Um, so my worry um, was that when we would touch down, this would do one of two things: it would cause either a rollover, um, which can be fatal in a Chinook. Yeah. Or potentially um, puncture the fuel tank and cause a, a fire. Mm. And so, uh, 
you know, the guys on the ground in the back of the truck, um, they quickly devised a plan uh, to uh, basically have us hover over 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 them, mm-hmm. and um, they would try to free the load by either pulling it over and out or just kind of somehow releasing it. And, um, yeah, I think actually another Utah Utah guy I left out oh, was, yeah. was the first. Uh, Mass Sergeant, uh, yeah. I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, so, the, so we kind of devised a plan. The guys had a pickup truck. They stood in the back of that. Um, I hovered over. Um, as best I could to keep a stable hover with this aircraft that was, wasn't behaving like a normal Chinook. Um, and, uh, you know, they tried tugging on the, on the rope. It, it wasn't coming free. It was too jammed. And, you know, this is like, these are yeah, chains. It's like ratcheted tight. Yeah, thing. ratcheted tight, yeah. thick chain. It's chains and then, like, inch-wide inch nylon. <clears throat> and so, um, but then um, they had the brilliant idea to cut the rope. And that it instantly freed us, um, and so wow. the, the load what, dropped. When they, they cut it, I mean, with a with a pocket knife. No kidding. Yeah, just the pocket knife. How long did that take? You know, it took a couple <laughs> minutes. Well, not even a couple minutes of tugging. But I think with the amount of tension on the rope, it it, just it helped it with them pretty fast. It yeah, actually. it was okay. just a. I think they just sliced through. It's my understanding. Yeah. And it didn't fall on them because they no, were underneath it, it. It fell. They were kind of to the side of it. <clears throat> oh, okay. It, it, it fell to the. It was able to be cut kind of back back here. Yeah. And the load fell in front of front to the side. So yeah, they. Oh wow. So yeah, if it wasn't for these guys on the ground who were not eating chow at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Luckily, exactly. We yeah. we really wouldn't have you, had the support that yeah. we needed to do that if they if they had gone to dinner any. I'm trying to picture it in my head right now because it's, it's basically, I mean, you see the truck there. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Lamp who was on top of the truck. Yep. Just on top of it, trying to cut this rope. This wheel, this front one wheel was touching the cab of the truck. Yeah. Oh, trying to maintain that hover that whole time. Ding the Just great. Wow. Um, yeah, messed up the truck a little bit, but it still worked. It's, All right. It's yeah. a ta-ta. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so the load is disconnected or, yep. you know, dislodged. And then yeah. uh, you guys go ahead and... Yeah. scoot over and land it yeah well at this point you know we uh at, at this point it was kind of a big event the um the crash rescue we'd we'd called when the uh, we declared an emergency was all surrounding us and that's when you know um with with all the debris that was still in the sling load yard and and uh, a couple other obstacles uh we uh we had uh sergeant kamalii flight engineer um, took a flashlight and observed the uh, the rotor system to see if there's any damage he couldn't see any I searched the, we, we also used our searchlights to see if there's anything on the forward system forward blades that looked mm-hmm. like any damage didn't see any so we made the decision to hover over about 200 yards land in our normal parking spot um, but that's when, when we landed that's when you know we thought the vibrations were concerning in the air but once we landed that's when the actual whole aircraft began to really shake oh. and um, so you know I decided to do um, uh, you know shut down just as quickly as we could and and um, Gene had mentioned that the uh, centrifugal force was what was holding our yeah earlier on in the conversation yeah you know, it, it, the blade actually 
you know, snapped. Yeah. And went up, but can immediately went back out. Yeah, went back of out. Because of the rotation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. These blades weigh about 300 pounds each. And uh, when they're, you know, everything's normal, they're, and, the, and the aircraft's running, it, they're turning at about 212 RPM. But when we shut down uh, the engines, that's when um, the blades start to slow down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's when uh, the second... So you weren't expecting this. This yeah. was completely <laughs> unexpected. <laughs> Maybe I should have been expecting it, but... Um, as the blades started to really slow down, um, where they had snapped earlier, that was the, they started to sag and bend. Yeah, and yeah. Um, essentially, when they started turning towards the fuselage, the blades made impact with the center of the aircraft. And um, very <laughs> I think it was four, I counted four impacts. And uh, and then the blades abruptly stopped. <laughs> Normally, it takes so, a few few so, minutes. So so it it slowed it down ultra fast. Very yeah. fast. That's where you see all the pictures. The yeah. as the blades or as you know the aircraft was shutting down, uh, it just made impact with whatever it can and eventually stopped in the fuselage. So do you think? I mean, could it have injured or killed somebody inside? Yeah, I, if they were in the right. Yeah, a certain mean, place, or yeah, that's that kind of haunts me a little bit. Is that uh-huh. um, you know it didn't cut through the, f- the fuselage, but okay, um, if like one one place where we were the most where where that would have happened is when we shut down. We have a, a crew chief outside, kind of monitoring um, the shutdown of the engines, typically and the blades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the checks that we do on a normal shutdown is make sure that our droop stops, which keep essentially keep the rotors rigid um, from oh, the rotor hub. Are. Yeah, there's so so the blades go typically do have they're hinged, so they go up and down and mm-hmm. flight, but they have these when they shut down. There's like a little wedge that that keeps them um, outright, and uh, so our, our crew chief was making sure those were actually there in, in place when when he sh- when we shut down. And in fact, they were, but un- you know, unfortunately, no one could really even see the damage to the blades, even mm-hmm. at that point. But he was standing kind of just outside the rotor, um, the rotor system, and uh, you know what? What kind of haunts me is that um, when the when those blades made impact, uh, debris went flying, and pieces and parts of the rotor system kind of flew flew mm-hmm. out. He didn't get hit. Nobody got injured. Um, but they could have been. And so... If they were in a, r- in a certain place. If they were yeah. a certain place, yeah. I think if they were more on this side, they probably would have... Uh, oh. could have been in danger there. But, you know, I... I, uh, I think, you know, had I known then what I know now, I would have had them either stay inside or everybody ready, everybody just clear and have one of us shut down the aircraft. And... Uh, and make make sure everybody's safe away, mm-hmm. but but you know luckily nobody was injured, and uh, the it was probably the fastest shutdown I've ever been a part of because <laughs> normally the blades turn for about three yeah, minutes. yeah. <laughs> it takes a while for those things to slow yeah, down yeah exactly so um, so that's when we uh, kind of did an emergency ev- ev- uh, egression out of the aircraft and in case uh, something was on fire yeah and you couldn't see or something got yeah. out yeah. And, we, I, uh, I don't know if you remember, I, I heard this like creaking sound 
from the blades and it was the blades actually settling still mm -hmm. so they were like tipped 90 degrees and one of them was folded over the other like like completely folded over and you could hear just this these fiberglass cracking Snapping, sounds yeah, yeah wow so that's why we, we got clear of the aircraft and uh waited for someone to come help us <laughs> Take us to Bang Bang Chicken Night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here for chow. We made yeah, it. We made it. Mission. <laughs> Success. Wow, that's an incredible, incredible story. That's um, I, I could only imagine. I mean, if someone like me, I mean, I'd be like all oh, panicking. <laughs> but you know, you guys go. You guys do this. You know, you guys go through all these SOPs and trainings and, and you do things by the book. And, and um, this was not by the book. Mm -mm. So you had no idea what was going on. So this is something that, you, I mean, you guys made it out alive and safe. And it's just yeah. an incredible, incredible story. Is it anything like this has ever happened before or something similar that you, know, you guys read about? You know, when the, the story got posted on Facebook, there were some some old timers that oh that <laughs> happened to Carson back when I was there and uh, I I I'm like I'm pretty sure that didn't exactly happen like that at Carson back when you were there but um, yeah. you know I'm sure people had um, similar similar issues um, what what kind of in, like when this was happening though I um, I started thinking about um, back back in Afghanistan uh, years ago in the the delta model chinooks that i used to fly um we used to really um one of the common techniques was to to do dust landings with a lot of forward speed and that would often break landing gear off mm. and it never happened to me and i didn't do a lot of those types of landings but um uh, people who did them a lot often had to um land on on either mattresses or pallets when they when they broke a landing gear off mm. and so for me that that kind of that how they would handle that emergency kind of um sort of inspired inspired me to to uh, go through go ahead and uh have the guys try to try to take the load off um from from the back of that truck mm -hmm. um but you know Honestly, the, the blade damage part, people don't really survive that in Chinooks, typically. Um, one of these blades, even just one of these blades snapping at, at any point um, typically is enough of an imbalance in the rotor system to, to es essentially instantly um, cause a fatal crash. Yeah. So that was, uh, we were extremely lucky that, that either of those blades stayed, stayed together. Not, not just one, but yeah, two. Both, both. Holy cow! Yeah, and the yeah, exactly. Wow. So, you know, and and we you know we learned a lot um, <laughs> from from this accident. I hope that the lessons we learned can can be um, transferred to to other people in similar situations. Um. Want to make sure we mention the the, the crew in the back, and just mm -hmm. so that, even though they're not here, but they are just as yeah um, important to this whole story too. And it was uh, who were they again? Can yeah, it was uh, Staff Sergeant Kamali'i, um, Sergeant uh, Donnelly, and Sergeant uh, Higgins from Oregon. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. They uh, they were absolutely instrumental, mm -hmm. and um, they were they were our eyes. You know, we can only see what's in front of us. They had have a much mm -hmm. clearer picture of what's happening with the aircraft as far as um, everything around us. Um, Sergeant Higgins, who was in the hole, um, he he went from being in the hole. We we also had internal cargo. Okay. We were completely right. cubed out, loaded oh, up with okay. pallets and and whatnot. So they're hopping over all that stuff, he's, trying to move yeah, around back there. Climbing, crawling on his hands and knees to get from the center of the aircraft <coughs> to the ramp where he can actually see what's going on. Wow. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure there was cargo all the way back to the ramp too. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think it was on the ramp too. Holy cow! So the ramp was down. The it was level or, yeah. or something like, some, or pretty close to level. And yeah, he uh, he did an amazing job. Uh, Sergeant Kamali E. Um, you know, he's he was in the forward right hand uh, gun, and he he uh, was instrumental in, in making sure that our systems were in observing our systems, making sure they were operating normally. Um, he was le the leadership for the younger crew chiefs in the back, mm -hmm. um, and he was uh, reassuring to us that we were going to be okay. So he was definitely um, wow. a major part of that. So um, this, you know, started with this <laughs> the the award that you guys received last year. Can you talk about that award and what it's for? And yeah, and uh, yeah, we got the uh, Broken Wing Award. Um, it's it's a uh, award the Safety Center um, puts puts out. Not every year. It it it, is, it only goes to crews that um, it deems uh, uh, merit the award. It's um, some people joke that it's uh, an award for people that crash good, um, <laughs> but it's it's um, an award that um, they issue for uh, people that minimize uh, minimize damage to army aircraft in an accident or or uh, mm -hmm. or prevent uh, loss of life, and um, so you know we uh, we told our story and the uh, safety center. Um, at, at, at Fort Rucker, um, saw that thought, thought that we deserved it, and uh, it's really kind of like a rare thing that they give out. It is. Know? It's it's very rare. Um, you know that, and that was a really um, to me it was really important because it, um, you know, nobody wants to have an accident right, like this, right. and um, you know, accidents typically get I feel like get blamed on pilot error, and I don't doubt for a second that you know we, I could have performed better and made better decisions throughout this uh, crash sequence going on from before we accepted the mission till mm -hmm. till we were shut down in the parking spot but it, you know it helped it helped uh, I think it helped me at least come come to terms with with uh, the accident and yeah. uh, make sure that yeah it, it's it's it, yeah so it's really important to me and I think it's also important to our crew what are your thoughts on uh, the award, or, or, or in, in general, like how you performed and handled? Um, I mean, going <laughs> forward, it definitely, you know, a lot of lessons learned for any other load that I pick up in this helicopter. Um, yeah. You know, this load is particularly unique, so 
you know, just in the future, I want to keep that in my mind. Yes. I kind of <laughs> look, look up no to... No more choose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, having Ryan there, you know, he's one of our IPs as well. So, you know, I look, I look up to, you know, mm-hmm. how he um, led our air crew that day. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm really glad that the entire crew was awarded the Broken Wing. Um, yeah, good. Especially, yeah. you know, the guys in the back. Um, you know, we mentioned our entire crew... Uh, in that aircraft, but at the Broken Wing ceremony, um, the guys on the ground, you know, were also recognized. They were from a different unit as well, right? It was a mixture. So yeah. we had uh, um, Wolf Lathers, we had Marcus Hickman, um, Kevin Lamp, and uh, who am I? Who else was there? Um, yeah, we had uh, Ty, yeah, Ty Higgins was there as well. Um, on the ground. Yeah. And of okay. course, our... Um, S3 NCIC from Utah, right? Mm. I, I can't remember his name right <laughs> now. Blanking on his name, but he was he was, he was instrumental. Ins- yeah. Instrumental. Yeah. And, and, oh, and, and Joe it. Ford was also on the ground. Yeah, Joe Ford was was. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I gotta say, um, just to reiterate, the broken wing usually just goes to the pilot in command, um, but it's such an honor that the whole crew in this mm-hmm. incident got it. Um, like, it typically goes to the pilot in command. Sometimes goes to the pilot. Almost never goes to the entire crew. Really. Yeah, and uh, and so that was such an honor that, that yeah. everybody got recognized for for that. And I I believe that everybody performing the way they did is the reason why we we survived. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, that's, that's an uh, it's an amazing story. Is there, is there anything we haven't covered that you think we should uh, mention? No, that's just that's the main the main thing. Um, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, reflections on safety and and missions and risk assessment that that I've had on this uh, this mission and that that kind of uh, that was kind of spelled out in the in the narrative of a broken wing award a little bit but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah we're we're just really grateful to be to be here <laughs> after that yeah yeah that's awesome um, was there anything that anything that uh, the safety center took away from this or is anything that army aviation initiated implemented as a result of this I would like to say I I know what they're doing and that I've, okay. I've seen that I, I can't I, I'm not um, aware of of any um, of any changes okay. made based on based on this accident um, okay it's probably too soon probably yeah <laughs> it's only happened yeah, a couple of years ago right yeah I've seen it on a couple of articles like my facts but I haven't seen anything beyond that yet. okay yeah um, yeah bottom line the you know the accident shouldn't have happened. We should have mm-hmm. we should have seen seen the risks in the risk assessment earlier, and that's kind of where where my lessons learned I think mm. primarily go to. Um, yeah, and then yeah, that, that's kind of the that's really the big the big one for me. Okay. But um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. I mean, I think it, the fact that you guys are here is just still a testament to your skills and abilities as pilots to, you know, handle the situation the way you did. So congratulations <laughs> for, for staying alive. <laughs> um, but, yeah, thank you for telling your story. And, I, I, it's, I again, telling your story because you've told it uh, probably quite a few times already. But... Um, but uh, hopefully, uh, people get inspired. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, it's, like it's yeah, it's it's good to tell. To, I hope that people can take some yeah. lessons away from it. 
All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.